3: Tuesday morning, the 30th of October with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The new Guard Commissioner Drew Harris appeared before the Justice Committee last week to outline his vision for policing. Mr. Harris, who takes over a deflated police force with scandal heaped on top of scandal, outlined to members how he would meet with Sergeant Morris McCabe in the wake of the Disclosures Tribunal. He was asked about his previous experience working in the RUC and to the PSNI and if he would meet with uh, the Justice for the Forgotten Group about the Dublin Monaghan bombings. Harris was also questioned about his previous roles and if that now presented a conflict of interest. He was asked about Garda numbers, his budget and resources. Peter Fitzpatrick is an independent TD for Loud. He's a member of that committee and he joins us in the studio this morning. You got a chance to ask Mr. Harris, a number of questions, a lot of them relating to the locality about Ramad Garda Station, a shortage of vehicles locally, policing at the border, especially post-Brexit and indeed the killing of two local Gardaí, Tony Golden and Adrian Dunhu. Should we have been surprised that you didn't ask Mr. Harris who killed Tom Oliver?
4: Well, well, in fairness, like uh, first of all, uh, it was a first time meeting uh, uh, the new Garda Commissioner Joe Harris Uh, in fairness he came in I found him very open and honest Uh, Michael uh, uh, in fairness he's he's, he's only been appointed two months I think he came off the blocks very very quick he came in he was uh, grueled for two and a half hours And in fairness, there's only so many opportunities they have. Well, Uh, you have
3: plenty of opportunity now. I mean, it wasn't uh, for a lack of of time or opportunity uh, to ask. uh, And uh, you have been very concerned. You've been meeting with Tom Oliver's family uh, and uh, you were very interested to learn that Mr. Harris could identify the person who ordered the killing it it did seem odd did it not or should it not have seemed odd that you didn't ask him about it
4: well I spoke I spoke to uh, to the uh, Garda Commission afterwards Uh, he's no problem meeting up with myself he's no problem meeting up with victims uh, in, in fairness, he's been very uh, honest and transparent. I think he should be given, as I said earlier on, I think he should be given an opportunity. There's a lot of things to happen. Uh, at, the, at the moment, uh, the people in, 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 in Ireland are very mm. unhappy with the situation of the police force.
3: But you well, didn't think it was the time to ask about the killing of Tom Oliver?
4: No, well, well Michael, in fairness, Michael, as I said, Michael, a lot of things have been asked. Uh, I, I did not have an opportunity to ask by Tom Oliver. I, I I will have an opportunity over the next few months to meet up with the Garda Commissioner. Uh, I, I, and what, 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 what I will do, Michael, i have to
3: challenge that, Peter, because... You you had about 25 minutes with uh, yeah. the guard Commissioner. You were asking uh, about cameras on uniforms and different issues. Uh, and there was no rush on you. Uh, you had a, a lot of time and a lot of opportunity. Uh, but for whatever the reason, uh, you didn't ask a- about Tom Oliver. I must say, I was surprised by that. Uh, and I wonder, is there a reason for it?
4: No, Michael, it's a fair question, Michael. Uh, as I said to you, Michael, uh, I spoke to a lot of guard in, in, in the dark area. They're, they're very unhappy. Morale is very, very low we have an opportunity of a new gardener Commission coming in uh, Basically, uh, I wanted to ask him about resources. I wanted to see uh, about backups. I wanted to see about overtime. And in fairness, the, the, most of the questions I did ask come up. I wanted, to, as, as you said earlier on, mm. I wanted to talk about uh, Agent Donner, who's motto, and all of so, about Tony Goland. I wanted to find out, uh, he he made a statement saying there was 172 new guard sergeants appointed. I wanted to know the reason why the six, there six, was six vacancies still in the dock. I also asked him the questions about uh, cars. I also asked him about Jamad. J- J- I also asked him about the Brexit I asked him uh, Michael, mm. I, I tried to basically ask him questions about what was happening now Nobody asked him about Tom Oliver
3: uh, This is the head of the police force in this country who says he knows who killed a local man well, as I said, or he might, ordered the killing of a local As
4: I said to Michael was uh, he gave a commitment to the committee that he would meet victims he would meet the families I will get Drew Harris to come to our area to meet the, the Oliver family to you know to, to, mm. to and, and Michael, there's still a lot of things we needed to, to find out more. But I, I personally didn't think that that was the time and the place to uh, to ask. He, he gave a commitment that he mm. that he will meet the victims and the Oliver families are victims and they want to actually know what happened to the Father and any information that Drew Harris has, he will come and we we, we will meet the family.
3: Sinn Féin didn't ask about it uh, which was no surprise it was a surprise that Peter Fitzpatrick didn't ask about the killing of Tom Oliver or what Drew Harris knows about the killing of Tom Oliver but it wasn't a surprise as such uh, that Sinn Féin didn't ask about it. Sinn Féin didn't ask about the arrest of Jerry Adams either which may have been more of a surprise but it, it did talk about his role in the RUC and uh, the PSNI and Duncan O'Leary questioned him uh, on uh, whether there would be a conflict of interest Uh, between uh, the two roles uh, as such and he he spoke about some of the concerns that victims of the Troubles had about him becoming the Guard Commissioner rather than Sinn Féin's uh, 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 worry about him becoming the Commissioner, uh, but uh, he was uh, accused of sectarian questioning by Fianna Fáil's Jack Chambers, uh, who said he, he wondered if uh, some of the questions were to undermine the Commissioner's position. Uh, how do you feel uh, about that? Do you think that was the effort by Sinn Féin to undermine Drew Harris?
4: Michael, as, as I said to Michael, I was there to represent the people of Ireland, the people of Loud, and the questions I asked, Michael, Now, the, the questions that... Uh, that uh, Donegal Leary asked about the uh, about the uh, the modern bombing and the Dublin bombing. Mm. In fairness, the answer that he give back was that he's willing to meet the, to, willing to meet the victims. He's willing to meet the families. He's uh, he's if, if if they need any more information, he's no problem putting down in pen and paper because mm. the PSNI and and the, and the Guard are meeting very regularly. Yeah,
3: but he also asked questions about secrets of uh, the, the 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 State Secrets Act and, and so on. And if there was a conflict of interest, uh, and he was accused by Fianna Fáil's Jack Chambers of sectarian prejudice uh, and uh, that uh, there was an effort to to undermine his position. Uh, Duncan O'Leary didn't get to respond to that but the chair of the committee who's also a Sinn Féin TD Quívin O'Quélan said that that was not the case and uh, that uh, he believed that his party colleague wouldn't be associated with such remarks.
4: Michael on the 3rd of September uh, a gallery commissioner took an oath to serve and look after the, the, the people of Ireland, to look after the constitution and as far as I'm concerned, he deserves a chance. And, and, in, fa- and, and, and in fairness to him. But do you
3: it, think he's been given a fair chance? Do you think there was an effort to undermine him?
4: Well, Michael, as I said to you, uh, you said in opportunity, mm. I spoke for 25 minutes. Mm. I spoke to him afterwards. And as I told you, he's given a commitment that he's no problem meeting up with victims. And you, you have to give the person a chance. This man has served uh, 34 years as a member of the PSNI and also the OUC. Uh, he's, he, he said he's a lot of information. At the moment, he's got great contacts in Europol. Uh, he's got great contacts in, in in the in the US with the drugs authorities. He's got great contacts at the PSI uh, in Northern Ireland. He's got great contacts mm. in, in the UK. And this, you, you, this man, this man has come with loads of experience. And what we what we need in this country at the moment, especially what happened to the last two Garda commissioners, we need someone who we can trust, who has got the experience. And in fairness, even through a very very hard uh, interview process, and he's come out and he was mm. recommended as a top man for the job. And I think we should give him a chance.
3: And I think you were pointing at his contacts north of the border because of the. R- he held north yeah. of the border is a, a positive, uh, rather than it being a conflict of interest, and that it, it could lead uh, to cross-border policing.
4: Well, I think or com- better cooperation. Like in fairness, like uh, he, he's all, he also stated that he's meeting the chief constable of uh, Northern Ireland next week. I think that's a plus. I think uh, it's very important because with the Brexit situation coming up, uh, this uh, illegal trading at the moment. People in people the border are very worried. What's going to happen with the Brexit? He gave a firm commitment that uh, that he, he will be working very closely with the PSNI. He will be, as you know, you've said, mm. Michael. It's nearly three hundred miles from Donegal the whole way to Omie. Like, as a former member of of the Defence Forces, I know myself. Like, you've got you've got you've got thirty four border crossings from mm. Coleraine to Omid This 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 man has come with a load of experience. He seems to be an honest man. I, and I said, Michael, we have to give him an opportunity.
3: Indeed, as a, a former member of the Defence Forces uh, that patrolled the border from O'Meath to Carlingford, you said you were very concerned about the preparations that are in place post Brexit.
4: I think it really voided me. Uh, I'm a member of the British Irish Parliamentary Assembly, and we uh, we met up in London last weekend to talk about the Brexit. And to be honest, with you, uh, I don't think the UK has a clue what's happening. Like we met we we met MPs from Wales, from, from Scotland, from uh, uh, UK, England, and I was very concerned because they don't seem to as far as I'm concerned is they don't seem to care about the border as such. When you see trees May come coming out and say that ninety-five percent of the of the bricks is night, the last wee bit is a uh, is, is, is 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 the border situation. That really concerns me. And I also stated that uh I won't take leave for as It's starting to scaremonger as well, telling people that if the Brexit is not sore at night, the violence will be torn back to Northern Ireland. So I'm delighted to see the uh, uh, the chief constable mm. in the PSNI and the, the Garda Commissioner walking together to you know think. What Do you think the
3: Overadkar is just scaremongering? Do you not think that there is a, a risk of a return to violence?
4: Well Michael, I think it's very, very important, Michael, that that, that like as I said he is. It's it's not great to see the, 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 police, the chief police officer in Northern Ireland, the chief police officer in, in Ireland sitting mm. together, putting a plan together. It's, there's 180 new recruits coming out from uh, Teppelmoor next month and he's, the, 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 the Guard Commission said that he's going to deploy them in the places that needs them. And I hopefully mean, hope, hopefully that he looks after the border areas. Mm. As I said to you, it's fantastic. But the go-
3: guards say they'd need a 1,000 guards for the border alone.
4: Well, in fair, now, in fairness, now, mm. the, the, the thing that the, I thought you how it said was uh, this year alone there be there's 700 guarders mm. coming out from Teppermore. and then he also stated that there's 300 guard retiring or whatever at the moment. That that's good because when when like, should never close, and i was delighted to see Teppermore open up again. We got between seven and 800 guarders coming coming out for the next number of years, and all of a sudden, like, at one stage there was 700 people leaving the guard of forces, so 700 coming mm. out. There was no sign of the of the guard getting back. Back up to the full to the full equipment. At least now going forward, uh, he, he said like uh, fifteen years ago in the PS, and I they spent uh, a lot of money on the IT. All of a sudden, fifteen years later, we are going to spend money in IT. So mm. the, the resources are going to be there. I think it's coming in at the right time. I think he's a very experienced man. I think we do need we do need an experienced man there. Is. And I said, yeah, listen, whether it's Sinn Féin mm. or Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, like we we got, we got an opportunity to to ask the questions there last week is and the reason I didn't ask about Tom Mallard situation was. He give a commitment early on in in, in, in meeting that uh, that he will meet the victims and families. I spoke to him afterwards at a moment, and I I, I will I will, I will definitely get uh, Drew Barrymore to come down to County Loud and to meet the Oliver family.
3: Okay, uh, and uh, you raised a, a number of other local issues with him. This follows uh, a meeting that you had with uh, the Minister for Justice and uh, Superintendent Jerry Curley, and uh, you travelled uh, around the area and saw some well under-resourced guard
4: stations. Well, Michael, uh, I, first of all, I took uh, the, the minister up to the, the, the Garda station in Dog. There's not an inch of space up there at the moment. Is Like, you know, we, like you've got the traffic code. Everybody is pollinated in the Dock Garda station. So we went in there, and honestly, we, even the minister couldn't get his car parked. There's no, there's no like, you know, it's, 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 it's up to full capacity. Uh, we also then took him like, to Jamad Garda station. Jamad Garda station is a prefab. It's a prefab there for the last number of years. It's not fit for puppies. Years ago, uh, in fairness, in hindsight, the bought the bought a house, a fantastic house there on the site. It wouldn't cost that much money to to convert to the house into mm. a garden station, especially with the price coming up, and especially being on the M, just off the M1, I think it's, it's 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 very important. Now the minister at that time gave me commitment that that, that, that the resources would be given to Jamal Garden Station. I just asked the, the Garden Commissioner, did the Minister confirm that there's money available for Jamal Garden station? And he said he would get back to me. Mm. But as I said he is, we need we, we we need to get the resources up and running as best we can in, in the border areas. He,
3: he said he'd, he'd look into that for you. He also said that he, he'd look into the under-resourcing and uh, the shortage of vehicles, uh, but nothing definitive. Uh, nothing definitive either on the ongoing uh, investigations into the Garda killings.
4: No, no, in fairness, Mike, if you all know what happened there last mm. week, there's a, there's a man in, in, being charged over the murder. But he did tell me that the, the guards are keeping uh, uh, as much you know, people involved as they can. As I said, yeah, I'm in constant contact with uh, Superintendent Gerald Cody and Dog and there's an investigation still going on there at the moment. But the, but the good thing is, at the moment is uh, it's, 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 it's important that we get as much resources as we can in the area. And I had an opportunity to ask the, the, the Guard or Commissioner what was actually happening.
3: Mm. Uh, and what's your impression? Uh, uh, as much as possible, uh, is that enough? Even well, if we were to get it, in other words.
4: Well, the good thing there too was uh, he's very interested in, uh, in 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 the locals. See, what happened is he has to get people back trusting the guard stations. Uh, you know, just like they were talking about closing guard stations and opening up guard stations we have got a guard station in the area and people have to go in and trust the guard again he's, that's what he's doing he wants to get the local people in he wants to get uh, he wants to get Garda more presence in the ground the thing he did talk a lot about there was uh, like he needs to train the Garda because the Garda uh, the Garda duties now have changed for example Michael uh, internet internet uh, child abuse and internet, internet uh, sexual mm-hmm. the whole thing is completely changed he wants to make sure that, that if people have problems that they, 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 they can ring up a Garda or contact a Garda and know that the Garda has someone you know the, the diva's experience the whole t- the whole role of Garda is changing we've, we've got a man in at the moment that has vast experience and he's coming in now and he's given a commitment he as I said he's sworn a note to the legions of this country on the 3rd of September he's only in the job two months he's visiting all the Garda stations in the country he's visiting all officers in, 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 in. he's given a commitment and the thing I like, I like about him was he's not negative he's said. He he met a lot of good people in the gardens and they're the people he's going to look after.
3: All right, well, uh, you were uh, attending the meeting uh, as an independent TD, which has been the case the last couple of weeks uh, since your departure from Fine Gael. Uh, it's a new lease of life uh, as such for you, I take it, is it?
4: Oh, Michael, it is indeed. Michael, t- to be honest, with you, Michael, you uh, uh the amount of phone calls the amount of people that talk to me uh, a lot of people come in to me I, I find Michael not being tied to a party it means that I've no handcuffs uh, I've no hidden the genus. people can come in more people come in to see me now at the moment is, and like, to be honest as I said he yes, uh what you see is what you get and that's Peter Fitzpatrick and yeah. I'm, I'm just, truthfully I'm just looking forward to uh, my, my, my
3: political career going forward. Well what does that mean because uh, as expected you've already voted uh, against the government. Uh, do you expect to be running against government party candidates uh, in the near future in this constituency?
4: I do need Michael uh, as I said to yeah, you Michael yeah. I'm very lucky yeah. Michael because uh, since I became an independent TD uh, I got an open hand of, of uh, I, I talked to a lot of uh, Fianna Fáil, I talked to a lot of Sinn Féin, green parties uh, Fine Gael. like uh, to be honest i find i find uh, i've got a lot more acquaintances in the, in the dollar such. I mean, like uh, as before, this when you when you when you are a member of a party, yeah. other parties don't seem to be interested in talking to you. But as I said, yeah, I met Leo a there for, uh, a while ago. Uh, I just told him that uh, I take each vote by each vote. Uh, I did vote against the government, and the, the reason was Michael is uh, in my area, especially in tourism there at the moment. Like, like it depends so much, and, and with the uncertainty about it, uh, like you know, a hundred percent increase in in in, in the VAT in the area didn't go down too well. And in fairness, I, and that, that's the reason I couldn't support the government.
3: Mm. Uh, how, how is your relationship with, uh, Finnegale?
4: I, I don't know a problem with Gale, Gale I be honest, you, the other TD in County Louth, Fergus out. I meet Fergus at the mm. meet him in the corridors and that there, and we got a very good relationship.
3: Very good. All right.
4: Well, I'm a very friendly individual, Michael. Is a, as I said, yeah, I'm a very, very positive person. Uh, I don't hold any grudges mm. against anyone. Uh, my main concern, Michael, at the moment, is uh, Peter Fitzpatrick is an independent TD. Uh, Peter Fitzpatrick will be going as an independent TD in the next general election. I just hope that the people of will just take me as face value, like my. But I,
3: you'd I, you'd accept that after the next election as things stand uh, the largest party in government will be Fine Gael and Leo Varadkar will be Taoiseach
4: Well Michael as I said him uh I haven't got a crystal ball. I don't think anybody knows that the fact at the moment. Is uh, all I know is that uh, Loudon East Meath is, is a five-seat constituency. Mm. Uh, Peter Fitzpatrick will be fighting very, very hard for one of them five seats, and I'm sure that Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gale, Sinn Féin, and Independents, and that there, other parties, will be putting up candidates. All I hope is that the work I've done for the last seven or eight years, that so people, you know, say, "Listen, that Fitzpatrick is not a bad fella. Let's give him a wee bit of a take." I will be there fighting and tooth and nail for my county and for East Meath, and I just said, "Yeah, all I'm going to do, Michael, over the next." whether whether, whether the election's on this year or next year, the moment is, I'll do my best.
3: All right. Thanks for coming in to us this morning. That's Independent TD in Loud, Peter Fitzpatrick.
5: Michael Michael Reid on on LMFM.
3: Well, this weekend, the people of Ireland re-elected Michael D. Higgins as president. Our political editor, Eileen Brophy, is on the line. And not surprisingly, Eileen, it was a landslide.
6: Uh, It was, yeah. I think, you know, um, just nobody ever, nobody sort of made... Uh, any impact from any of the debates. Uh, I think at at one stage, people, uh, you know, were kind of felt that, okay, uh, you know, different people uh, throughout the campaign, like Joan Freeman, that she would come up. um, Also, uh, Gavin Duffy, Mm. uh, that, you know, he, he was sort of the most popular of um, of the Dragon's Den crew uh, and that he would come up. And then you had early on, you had people thinking, well, you know, that people would feel that Sean Gallagher, uh, you know, was it was an injustice done to him the last time, so therefore he may get that vote. But nothing like that happened at all uh, throughout the whole campaign. I don't think people um, listened at all uh, to the campaign. I think they they probably watched a a few minutes Mm. uh, of it and then... um Signed off. You and I had to watch it all, uh, so um, if it, it, you know, but but the public didn't. But it, so it just
3: repeated itself, Eileen. It, it repeated itself yeah. the mm.
6: whole time. There were the same issues. Mm. It uh, was
3: dull as dishwater, if ever.
6: Absolutely dull as dishwater, as no doubt about that. So I, I think like in a lot of areas, you know, people were surprised about mm. the whole Peter Casey thing. Um, I, I, he certainly uh, played uh, a, a blinder in the whole of. The it. Um, I, I definitely believe that, you know, uh, he had a strategy um, of some sort and uh, he got that strategy mm. out. And um, But
3: was he too late coming out with that strategy or no, should no, some, no, some of the no, others have no. followed that strategy? Because uh, some people have suggested he was racist, uh, racist and he made racist comments. He says he, he wasn't. But if he, he was racist, uh, if, if he'd gone after the blacks and the Jews earlier in the campaign, maybe that would have stood to him as well.
6: I don't think so. I don't think, I think he got away with saying he wasn't racist. A lot of people would have thought, yes, he was racist. And a lot of people still think he he, he is. A lot of people think that uh, he was right. And even an awful lot of people feel that, look, he's opened up uh, a debate that needs to be had in this country. Mm. So uh, he, he picked an issue, uh, really, I think that that worked out very, very well for him. Um, and you know I don't think anybody else could have followed him I think the the one night I get no the, the campaign's mixed up now but I remember the night um he he said he said it first on the television mm. um about the about the travelers and um a, they were all individually asked if they would mind living you know alongside mm. travelers or have them in their backyard or whatever and not one of them said that they wouldn't and i i, I found that very difficult uh because I, I i think out of like some of them mightn't mind it but a lot of them um but each one of them said no they wouldn't mm. and i think people people kind of thought I ah, here they heard that,
3: you know. Yeah, well, it was a very dull campaign and I I think uh, it would be wrong for us uh, to forget uh, that Michael D. Higgins uh, is a very popular president uh, which uh, made it all the more difficult for people who didn't have a a vision to challenge him with. Uh, But if it it was a dull campaign and people weren't engaged, well, I suppose that's just the nature of these things to some degree. But I would also say that some lessons need to be learned from all of this because some of the things that we did learn is that the office of the president can be Uh, brought into disrepute because of one of these campaigns Uh, at one stage during the campaign the President was called a a liar Uh, and that's uh, an accusation a very serious accusation against the highest office in this country it was a campaign which proved that you needed uh, to be in the right circles or to be very wealthy in order to run and that uh, you didn't really need uh, the proper credentials or experience in life to bring to the discussion what way this country we should be moving forward. Uh, perhaps uh, this will be looked at before the term is up, before the seven years uh, that Michael e- D. Higgins has been uh, elected for will be over.
6: Yeah, well we did actually, you know, we did ask um, Leo Varadkar that on the night, on, on Saturday night uh, but he, he just said, look, you know, Uh, seven years definitely, we asked him really about just Mm. the seven years, not the fourteen. And he said that he himself felt that the recommendations that had been given to him, uh, to the, to the, to the cabinet was, uh, for five years. Uh, so that he felt that, you know, that he liked the whole idea of the five years himself. But that was something that definitely had to be looked at and they would certainly look at that. I mean, you had people saying, Uh, Very early on in this campaign that, you know, that these people uh, were great to go up and, and, you know, it's Mm. nice to see ordinary people going up. But clearly they didn't understand uh, what the presidency was about. Mm. um and i I, a lot of all of these people seem to be able to afford to go up or were Mm. were in a position to get the money uh to go to run for the presidency as you said earlier on uh so uh, i think really it used to always be a politician you know it was always one of the main parties whatever party but fianna fall that really got in most of the time and it was good to see an end to you know not 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 to Fianna Fáil but that it was just uh, the parties that did it um, it was good to see that and, you know, and to see people like Mary Robinson I know she ran for the Labour Party but to see people like her uh, go in rather than just a politician and people like Mary McAleese uh, rather than a politician and then we came back to the po- politicians again to Michael D. Hagan. Mm-hmm. he did a fantastic job but it is good to see you know it keeps everybody on their toes um, because all of these people, all of those three people brought a huge amount uh, to the presidency uh, in their own way and in, in very different ways.
3: Okay, well it was a, a good election no doubt for Fine Gael and for the Labour Party because yes. they supported Michael D. Higgins a bad election, my God a very, very bad uh, election uh, and a very bad reflection on the leadership of Sinn Féin uh, and uh, uh, I don't know what to say about Fianna Fáil uh, but this brings in Peter Casey and what he's been saying uh, and indeed uh, enter the Renewa Party?
6: Yeah, well, you see, I think at this stage, you, uh, you know, Sinn Féin would have been the story of this whole election uh, mm. if uh, Peter Casey hadn't have come up in, in one week, like he went up from 1%, like up to 20 odd percent in absolutely one week. Um, and he himself would like to join Fianna Fáil, he obviously feels that he, he's very close uh, to the Fianna Fáil, to Fianna Fáil and feels that he can lead them and that Fianna Fáil need a new leader uh, and need a shake-up um, and a lot of Fianna Fáil people, I believe, actually voted for uh, for him, and they were told. And according to the exit polls uh, that they did, um, and and then you know you have the situation where um, Renew are now looking for a new leader. They're very disappointed. Apparently, it's reported, uh, the Sun have quite a, a a big story on it today, the Irish Sun, and uh, they're saying you know that uh, that RENUA were going to ask him to lead them. Mm. Uh, so. He's, he, he is qu- quite right winged he says he's not but uh, he appears to be from, from the statements that he has made so I don't think he's going to go away he needs a bit of media training there's no doubt about that uh, but I think people, people liked um, what he had to say uh, they, they liked the way that he was outspoken that he didn't care about anybody else and quite frankly when he did make those statements he had nothing to lose because he was only on 1-2%
3: Without thinking too much about it, what was the strongest statement Sinn Féin made in this campaign?
6: I think Sinn Féin...
3: I think the Paul yeah, says yeah. it all, Eileen. Do you know, know yeah. what I mean? Just I mean, yeah. it was a, a most forgettable campaign.
6: Yeah, I can think of, where, of the mistakes that Leah made, but I certainly can't think of anything that really stood up and said, yeah... I Mm. like that, you know, Mm. or I don't like that or people will like that or whatever. But no, I absolutely think uh, that they would have been the whole story. Um, I think that they have a a rocky road ahead of them now uh, for a general election and they're one party that needs time. Uh, for a general election some of the others might run the, lose the run of themselves and go to, you know, want to go to the country uh, sooner than later but we asked Leo that as well on Saturday night and he said no that he had no intentions of calling a general election
3: Did you believe him?
6: I don't believe he'll call it now, um, and I, don't, I, I think, you know, he, he would have to have a good reason to call it, particularly after saying he's not going to call one. Um, but you'll always find a good reason, I suppose, if, uh, if you want to call an election. But the cold weather's in now, people mm. are starting thinking of Christmas, and I think he'd be mad to call an election, so I don't think he will.
3: OK, thanks Eileen. Eileen Brophy is our political editor. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now the investigations into whether 42 schools are safe is uh, set to be complete uh, by uh, this evening and uh, the initial inspections uh, should uh, be known by the end of business today according uh, to the Minister. This will mean that students and their parents will know if they have classrooms uh, to return to next week after the midterm. Thomas Byrne is TD in me. The Eastern Fianna Falls spokesperson on education. He joins us now. There were five schools caught up in this in County Meath. Uh, we know that the Gale School in Dunboyne has been given the all-clear and is set to fully reopen after the mid-term. What do we know about the others, the three in Ashburn and uh, St Paul's National School in Rat at this stage, Samuspray. Well,
7: I, I have no information on them, except that there is a number of schools that will be undergoing assessment today, uh, and look, let's hope that the same uh, result will come from Wales School, and Oath, that that will come for the other schools as well. We certainly hope that. Uh, I do compliment the department in putting all hands on deck to make sure that this issue is resolved because uh, it looks like quite a lot of them will reopen uh, and other schools as well obviously protective works are going to be put in place uh, that will allow them to reopen but obviously reopen in a safe manner I think that's really really important
3: Yeah uh, and uh, not t- too open if it's not safe to open them
7: no, I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, mm-hmm. look, we, we have a lot of questions asked to ask the department. We have all questions coming next week on this issue. Um, lots of information we require, but the most important thing is the health and safety of children, uh, the health and safety of staff and people visiting schools as well. So mm-hmm. I think that the action that the department took uh, was the appropriate action. Uh, this week in terms of, of an emergency response, particularly in light of what transpired at uh, Balbriggan uh, and some other schools as well. Uh, this had to happen, but luckily for School, Hullock and Oak and a number of other schools, they've already been given the all-clear. Uh, and I'm delighted with that. And I look forward to getting the results then this evening uh, from the rest of the schools. And I'm hoping that if there are issues in other schools... Uh, as has already been discovered in some schools that they can be resolved pretty easily uh, and that the major works uh, will only be required I hope in a very very small number of schools.
3: Yeah, a little bit like a Hans Christian Andersen story where the big bad wolf could huff and puff and blow the house down or in this case a, a storm. Were you sort of shocked when you heard yeah. that a, a bad storm could result in the walls falling down?
7: Absolutely. I mean, as, as I said in the doll, it sent a shiver down the nation's spine listening to that. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, so, I would be uh, certainly strongly encouraging and demanding that the department uh, takes legal action uh, because if these, if, if that's the case, then these buildings were not fit for purpose. They weren't built uh, in the correct way. Mm. I mean, buildings are meant to last uh, beyond storm force winds, even beyond hurricane winds. In fact, yeah, I mean, there was um,
3: an engineer on television talking about nine tons of concrete collapsing at once
7: as I said, it sends a shiver down our spine. It's just, it's, it's not worth it. It's not mm. very, you can't bear thinking about it because it's its, it's so frightening.
3: Into a uh, playground. I mean, the consequences uh, go... Uh,
7: to a playground or into multiple classes or whatever. Yeah. This has already happened in Scotland, by the way, a number of mm. years ago schools did fall down. So, look, I, I'm glad that this has been done, this has been discovered at this particular Mm -hmm. point. Um, But by the way, Michael, this would not have been discovered, uh, but were were it not for... um, The fire hazard. uh, Well, the fire fire hazard, this is the point, the fire hazard was only discovered uh, because uh, a a Dublin free newspaper, the Dublin Independent, uh, went to the Information Commissioner to look for fire safety audits in relation to five schools. The Department of Education refused to publish them. Eventually, they were forced by the Information Commissioner to publish those fire safety audits. And as a result of that fire safety audit, um, we brought the minister uh, into the Education Committee and him coming to the Education Committee meant that he then decided to widen the scope of the fire safety audits um, and then as a result of the fire safety audits, these building defects were discovered. Mm. So we have to thank journalism in this case uh, and uh, colleagues as well uh, at the Education Committee for forcing the pace on this and then obviously the department getting getting onto this eventually. But it, it really does show you that there seems to be a attitude within the government uh, of hiding things, of covering things up, of saying there's not a problem when in fact there is, and there was obviously a major problem here uh, that was being covered up, um, and these issues would not have been discovered uh, but for the Information Commissioner overruling the Department of Education, Freedom of Information Service, and this goes back a number of years. Um, the the first reports about the fire safety issues were discovered in August 2015. Um, the Dublin Enquirer, Dublin Independent, that free newspaper in Dublin, they eventually in in August 17 uh, got freedom of information uh, upheld at the at the information commissioner. Then there were tenders put into the news uh, to the e tenders government website to look for fire safety audits. And it was only then that the whole thing came out about fire safety issues. It was absolutely incredible. And by the way, mm. three years after the fire safety uh, auditor, uh, issues were discovered, they only took legal action last month. Uh, on those particular schools so I'm very concerned about the delays that it takes here about how they deal with things and how they actually get recompense for the taxpayer because there's obviously a cost to what's going on in the last number of weeks and you know, I'm not arguing that that, shouldn't be, that that should be spent of course it should be uh, but we've got to make sure it's recouped from whoever and, and, and everybody that's responsible for that
3: When you say it was a, a cover-up are, are you saying that the department knew that children were in schools that were not safe for them to be in?
7: Uh, what I'm saying is that the department knew there were fire safety, issues with, with fire safety issues with five schools. The department knew that and didn't give the information to the board of management. Uh, and as a result of this uh, coming before the Information Commissioner, as a result of the Oireachtas Education uh, Committee, this all came out the, into the public about a year ago, uh, predominantly. And but, as that,
3: but, but, but I mean, what you're saying, uh, is it wrong to interpret what you're saying? Because to me, what you're saying sounds as if you're saying that the department knowingly left the children in danger.
7: Well, they certainly knowingly left um, schools uh, with a lack of information as, 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 about fire safety audits, absolutely. And we know that because Minister Bruton changed the policy a year ago before he did all of these audits that are taking place. He changed the policy because everything came out uh, and decided and, and acknowledged that it was wrong not to tell schools what was going on. Mm. Um, Board of Management couldn't find out. Now, this is in a particular pocket of schools uh, constructed by WBS. Uh, and it, it's only because that uh, came into the open that all of these issues have now been discovered. So they really held on to those particular issues on fire safety. And, and, and where, what, I'm, what I'm really saying is, Michael, that because they hid what was happening in those five schools from, from the boards of management from schools, uh, had that been allowed to stand, had this free newspaper in Dublin not pursued this issue, Uh, we would not have known about any of these issues. That's an
3: absolute fact. And I suppose we have uh, the benefit of hindsight. Now, there's been an element of luck in uh, terms of the timing and uh, the midterm break, but with the benefit of hindsight, uh, should those schools, the 42 schools in question, not have closed for a couple of days in the run-up to the midterm, knowing that there was the risk of these significant problems?
7: Well, look, I mean, uh, my understanding is the Department of Education, first of all, decided to look at all these schools because they were built by WBS and there was a problem found with a WBS school uh, in balbriggan a major problem, obviously, as you've described pretty uh, scarily earlier. Uh, but the truth is that was the only reason. There, were, there was no specific warning on some of these buildings that there was a problem. Uh, it was merely that they were built by WBS. So the likes of Grayskull, School, I know was built by WBS. Mm-hmm. It's now been looked at and there's not a problem. Other schools are not in the same category. Uh, but it is just as well that they looked at it. But there was no particular, um, apart from the fact that they were built by WBS, there were no other suspicions as to why uh, that, that, that there might be an issue. And obviously that was an issue when you look at what actually happened in Budbrecht.
3: All right. And uh, if uh, you look at uh, the result in Dunboyne and uh, that the school can reopen after the midterm break, uh, it's clear that not all of the schools will have to close or partially close, uh, which again could bring about an element of luck in all of this, because the challenge is going to be great regardless. uh, And finding uh, a way of housing these uh, children and their teachers uh, will be a great challenge as we go into next week.
7: Yeah, well, look, I mean, there were six, given the all-clear over the weekend, including Dunboyne. I mean, the truth is, if there was a problem in Dunboyne uh, in Gravesville, Hullock and Oak, I don't know where you'd put those children. Um, and the, the same is true if there's a problem in the other places, if there's a problem in Ashbourne or tote. We have no idea. Um, it's a very, very difficult situation. It has to be said, in two of the schools where uh, there is a problem, uh, in school in Maud, Bal- in in and another one in Balbriggan. Um, there's a simple enough solution that will allow these uh, schools to reopen but thankfully the issue has been discovered and the solution has been put in place Um, there is other work to be done at three other schools as well so so look, there's, there's, there's work still going on and I compliment the department putting all hands on deck this week, but it certainly leaves a lot of questions to be answered as to what happened uh, over the last number of years in relation to these particular issues.
3: Okay, listen, thanks uh, for that. Just before you go, and very briefly, uh, are you sure there's no prospect that Peter Casey will become a Fianna Fáil shock in time?
7: Well, look, Peter Casey is entitled to uh, join Fianna Fáil. Anyone can. In fact, I invite anyone who wants to join Fianna Fáil to go to a website and join the party. Yeah. I always make that point, Michael. He can do the same. But, like, if you want to run for the doll in Fianna Fáil, and this applies to everybody, you have to go before a selection convention. I had to go before a selection convention and, and, and seek uh, a mandate to run for the next election. And, you know, there's a vote on that within the party organisation. So that happens. We've already had our selection convention in Donegal, so I think it's highly unlikely uh, that Peter Casey would be able to become a Fianna Fáil candidate. But, look, you can't just dismiss 23% of the public who go out and vote, uh, vote for him, And while I certainly wouldn't subscribe to, to many of his views. I think there is certainly a feeling out there that people uh, you know, feel left out, particularly in rural Ireland with oh. issues in relation to crime and broadband uh, are huge issues. And I think it is incumbent on politicians to make sure that those issues remain, uh, you know, are certainly addressed and, and addressed fully.
3: Okay. All right. Uh, could he be Taoiseach? Could he lead your party?
7: Uh, I want Micheál Martin to be teacher for okay. the next election and working every single day to make sure that happens and we yeah, certainly okay. want to win as many seats as possible to, to, to achieve
3: that. All right, listen, Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Finnafall TD for Mead East, Thomas Byrne. Michael,
5: Michael Reid on LMFM
3: Now let's find out what you've been saying to us Maggie McGuire joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you Maggie.
8: Morning Michael.
3: Well, Well, what have you got for us? You're you're there.
8: I'm there. I'm there this time. Uh, I have a lot of comments in, actually, in response to your interview with Peter Fitzpatrick. Um, I also have a lot of comments in in relation to the Irish race, but I'm going to start off with... um, Uh, go back to one of the interviews we did on Friday's programme with Tony Toner about the new drink driving laws Oh yeah. and um, Morrison Navin contacted us in relation to that and he wants to know what the situation is um, for priests or Eucharistic ministers when it comes to the new drink driving laws. He's saying like if for example a priest says three or four masses in one day or if a a Eucharistic minister officiates officiates at a couple of services in one day and they have to drink the wine as part of the Eucharistic Mm. ceremony, is there a chance that will put them over the new limit? I don't
3: know. Uh, I suppose, I. Well, I mean, I'm not going to answer it. Uh, the limits have been set and uh, it's up to the priests to take responsibility for that themselves.
8: Well, there you go. So I don't think to get any of the answer to that one. But mm. um, So moving on to this morning, uh, Anne was in contact with us in relation to your interview with Peter Fitzpatrick um, and uh, Drew Harris appearing before the Justice Committee. And she's saying she doesn't understand why people seem so reluctant to give Drew Harris a chance, basically, to do the job. She feels that they're constantly nitpicking at him, at him and bringing up issues from his previous roles, and she thinks it's unfair. She's seen, um, she thinks that we should give him the opportunity to make his mark, and maybe, who knows, he'll actually deliver on the promises he made when he started off. She's saying that, let's face it, we need all the help we can get when it comes to restoring the public's confidence in the force.
3: Okay, well, let's hope so, uh, because uh, it's a, a deflated force if ever, and uh, after all of uh, the controversy and scandals uh, hopefully uh, there will be an opportunity to put all of that behind.
8: And staying with that, Martin was on on the same subject. Um, he says that uh, it was hardly necessary for the new Commissioner to meet with the Justice Committee in order to find out what the problem is with crime in this country. Um, he says we all know what the issues are and we don't need to have any more talking shops on that subject. What we do need is more funding and more recruitment for the existing force. Um, he says that we're expecting the Gardaí to do one of the most important jobs possible but we're expecting them to do it on a shoestring mm-hmm. and that the priority of funding in this government is messed up beyond belief.
3: Okay, well I suppose that's uh, an interesting comment uh, before we speak uh, to our next guest and I wonder, do we know what the issues are? Uh, we know let's say that somebody breaks into a house or maybe Rob's uh, pharmacy uh, but Why do they do it? Uh, Let's hear from Sinn Féin Councillor Rory O'Murku, who has uh, been meeting uh, with uh, the Chief Superintendent uh, for the county and, indeed, uh, the superintendent. And as a result of all of that, uh, you're looking for more investment in mental health services and addiction services.
0: I am, indeed. um, When I met with the Chief Super, and uh, that's Christy Mangan and Super Jerry Curley, yeah, the first thing that I suppose that they spoke about was the fact of the huge amount of Garda resources that are used up in dealing with people who probably should be in uh, mental health services. It's literally people who have mental health uh, issues, sometimes combined with substance abuse, Mm -hmm. abuse issues, and it's obviously, it can take up a huge amount of resources depending on how serious these episodes are.
3: And but it's reflected in the prison population for that matter.
0: Of, of, of course it is. And, you know, at a huge cost. And to, to what end? Mm. You know what I mean? What, what you really need is that the guards aren't dealing with these cases. Particularly, you anecdotally, you hear of cases where the guards end up arresting somebody six times in one day. And occasionally these become incredibly serious where somebody would lock themselves into a room or a building or whatever.
5: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind.
0: you create a more difficult situation which involves sometimes the armed response unit, etc., which is obviously at a huge cost. There's obviously huge dangers and all the rest of it. But then the guards in an awful lot of cases take the, like, you know what I mean, deal with these people, and they're bringing them to A&E, and then they're released without the proper services. We've also had people who would have come to us who work in addiction services, etc., and they would have stated, as we would have discovered ourselves, that there's a huge problem with dual diagnosis, and that's the case where people both present with mental health and substance abuse. Mm. And it's a case of the services don't exist to deal with both of them together. You know, and you can argue chicken and egg and what leads to what, but when you're dealing with someone who's got mental health issues combined with substance abuse issues, mm. see to not deal with it obviously leads to huge problems.
3: And the right hand of the state not speaking to the left hand of the state as such.
0: That's, that's uh, it exactly yeah. and that yeah. usual scenario of it's not my department and that's not to take mm. away from anybody that works in, uh, in in this field. In an awful lot of cases people who work in this field do workarounds and they contact services that are, you know, I'm going to mm. say semi-state like voluntary groups that sometimes later, you know, due to the work to do get funding or sometimes just people who have worked in the field but when it comes to the guard, they would obviously have more severe protocols for the want of a better term, so so they they, they can't do that. But here, uh, Christy Mangan would have spoken about two guards who had to deal with a really difficult situation where it was a lady having an episode, and then m- managed to secure her without her doing any harm to herself, but she actually injured two of the guards, you know. Mm. I- and in, in obviously, as they tried to uh, contain or control her, and, and in fairness to them, he said he took them in and congratulated them in relation to how professional they were and, and the work that they
3: did. But, and that would be fairly yeah. typical of a, a yeah. lot of these stories in that uh, there's somebody in need of help. Uh, it's hard not to feel sorry for a, a person because uh, they're suffering from mental health problems or... The way they're feeling because of uh, their addiction or not being able to feed their addiction or both as you say uh, and uh, whilst that is one problem they can pose a danger to others
0: that that's it that's it exactly exactly you know what i mean because like, you're dealing you're probably you might be dealing with a small amount of people mm. but you're dealing with people where the problem is not dealt with it's not arrested for the want of a better term so therefore it's reoccurring you know we've had a number of these issues that come to us you go to the guards you obviously, you will make attempts to go to the HSE and hopefully get the person the care, the, the care that they require. But it's it's not a straightforward operation. The services aren't wrap that they're, mm. they're never there when you want them. There's always a delay at best.
3: And but there obviously- is a, a, a problem with crime. I think most people would uh, agree with that. Uh, but if there is a, a problem with crime, I'm sure you're not saying it's no wonder uh, it's our own fault uh, because uh, of uh, how we've uh, approached this, but if it's not by design, perhaps it's by lack of design or, or lack of forward planning and highlighting problems and investing uh, in uh, these problems before they happen.
0: Completely and utterly. Like, the reality is that state services didn't deal with the problem of drug dealing and addiction You know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago and it's got to an incredibly serious place, particularly in this in this town. I also welcomed when I spoke to um, to the two senior Gardaí that we seem to be inching towards um, a dedicated drugs unit in Dundalk. You know, some space has been freed up um, in Dundalk Garda Station, but there are other resources required. So at least then we could deal with, let's say, the serious end, you know, and put a serious concentration into the serious end oh. of drug crime and uh, you know, organized crime in 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 the general north loud and across the yeah, the entire loud area
3: we were talking uh, about it in Drogheda last week very similar sort of conversation and how the problem is on the scale that it is in a town of the size that we're talking about in around 40,000 in both towns uh, it's one thing uh, when you have fellas walking down the street with guns in their hand in Dublin where the population is 2 million but uh, if you have uh, fellas sorting out drug debts in Drogheda or Dundalk uh, it goes a little bit beyond uh, the realm of, of what you would expect doesn't doesn't it?
0: No, since I've become a counsellor, these issues have really been highlighted to me. Like, I was always aware, but I was never aware of just how, as I say, prevalent drug dealing was, how dangerous it was. it was. The amount of situations where people are put under threat for deaths or for other issues that relate to someone else within their family. And in fairness to the Gardaí, when I spoke to them, one of the major things that they wanted out there was that, see, people who find themselves in this situation, that they would present to the Gardaí, and that they will deal with it in a really in a professional way. But uh, and, and alongside that, in a way that obviously secures the victim or, or whatever. And when somebody comes in under threat, that that's the issue they're dealing with, rather than how the death arose or, or, or whatever else.
3: Okay, and uh, it's something in our midst, uh, a problem that we're all living with uh, to some degree, but uh, thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us this morning, Sinn Féin Councillor Rory O'Murkoon. Now let's go back uh, to some more of your thoughts and comments. Maggie, what else have you got for us?
8: Um, We had Tommy on the phone to us earlier this morning. Um, He was expressing his happiness that the presidential race is over Hmm. and we can all just get on with our lives, as he's he's put it. He says um, we've been bombarded for the last few months from all sides and he, for one, was sick and tired of it. Maybe now that the Irish um, circus is packed up and left town, the government can concentrate on tackling and dealing with the real problems in the country, like housing and health, and mm-hmm. obviously mental health and crime was just discussed there in yeah, the programme. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, Or
3: if there's a difference between them.
8: Absolutely, yeah. this is it. Yeah. And on the same note, um, Mary said the presidential race is, is now over, so why is everyone still talking about it? The people have voted and chosen their candidates, so can we please, for the love of God, just let it go now and stop dragging it out?
3: Well, we're going to have another one, another we, election. Al- you yeah. know, at, at some stage, certainly uh, within the next uh, seven years, uh, if not before.
8: She actually Mm. did make the point that she doesn't Mm. want to hear the phrase, the race for the Irish again until 2025, so fingers crossed (laughs) on that one, Mary. Yeah,
3: I'm with you on that one, Mary. I think the
8: whole country's with her on that one, to be honest with you. Um, John is describing the Irish race as an over-the-top vanity project and a huge waste of money. He said the dogs on the street knew the outcome of this one before it even got off the grind, so why why were we, the Irish people, subjected to this whole farce in the first place? Well,
3: I suppose uh, that's for us to answer now that's one of the reasons for talking about it now.
8: Absolutely and um, Mary from Loud um, thinks it's ridiculous to jump in popularity that Peter O'Casey made in the polls based on one comment he made um, she's just saying that it shows how someone like Donald Trump can gain such a huge amount of popularity just by spewing hateful Mm. speech and it's a a dangerous precedent to send possibly and in relation to the blasphemy laws uh, Barry is saying he's, he's really proud of how Ireland has grown up in the last few years he thinks that finally getting rid of the silly blasphemy law that we had in our constitution is, is another step in the right direction and that it, he hopes that it, it means that we're, we're continuing down the road to releasing the stronghold that the Catholic Church has had in us for so long. Okay, mm-hmm. Interesting uh, stuff. And then just to finish up because I'm conscious mm. of time, um, Mark from is saying he's delighted the election is over. Uh, the result was never in doubt for a second and it was all just a massive waste of time for the other candidates. Surely they, they knew this stood no chance.
3: Mm, well, <laughs> I don't. No, no we won't speak for them. One. Yeah. No no comment all right. On I, I'd agree with them. But mm. uh, listen. Uh, thanks uh, to everybody who's taken the time uh, to uh, ring in or text in, as the case may be. Thanks, Maggie, for that matter. And if you'd like to add to what's being said, uh, you can ring Maggie now or Ross, for that matter. Our telephone number is eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight.
5: Michael Reed on
3: LMFM. You now, if uh, we can just uh, mention that uh, survey that we heard about in the headlines uh, a little bit earlier on the My consumer sentiment survey says 93% of people believe that the government should be doing more about housing in this country. The government itself believes that local authorities, your local council, should be doing more and has told them that they must reach this year's targets by the end of this year. Let's talk about this and related matters with Sinn Féin's spokesperson on housing, Ono Brent, TD, who's on the line. I suppose Uh, The first question following uh, the release of the official figures last week is, what do you believe uh, the number to be at in terms of those who are in emergency accommodation in this country? Because uh, this is and continues to be uh, an issue that's in dispute.
0: Yeah,
9: so the the September uh, homeless figures were issued by the department last week. And what they tell us is, is, uh, according to the department, 5,869 adults uh, and 3,829 children were in Department of Housing funded emergency accommodation that month. In your own counties in Louth and Mead you're looking at probably about 80 individuals in Mead and 111 in Louth in some form of emergency accommodation. However what we also learned uh, uh, and there was some very good reporting by Kitty Holland in the Irish Times on Saturday is that uh, of the 1,600 adults and children who've been removed from the homeless figures, including about 100 from Loud uh, and about 30 or so from from Mead over the course of this year, the local authorities in question are all confirming in writing to to that journalist that, in fact, these families are all still uh, on their homeless lists, accessing homeless services and in temporary accommodation. Uh, 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 So, therefore, I suppose many of us are questioning the validity of the figures that were released last week because there's, you know... 1,600 uh, uh, adults and children who don't have tenancies, who don't have secure accommodation, are in effective emergency accommodation accessing homeless services, but the Minister has seen fit not to include them in his figures.
3: Uh, And what do you believe uh, to be the real figure? The official figure is just under 10,000. As you say, we've heard estimates of up to 15,000. Or does that conversation even matter? Is it just a a case that there's thousands of people in a crisis situation that need urgent attention?
9: Well, first of all... the, the, the numbers do matter, um, and it's not that we want to reduce people to statistics. These are real people, real adults and children in very, very traumatic circumstances. But if you don't know the scale of the problem, then how are you going to be able to fix it? Uh, and in order for government, I suppose, to have its targets right in terms of the delivery of homes, particularly for people in emergency accommodation, it needs to know the right figures. So uh, we know that that there are you know, at least 11... Uh, thousand people in Department of Housing funded emergency accommodation, if you take the figures that were released uh, um, last week, plus those figures that have been removed. But there are other categories of people too. Toos for example, Child and Family Agency, they fund emergency accommodation for women and children fleeing domestic violence. We have no figures for this year, none for last year, uh, but we do have figures for 2016 which tell us that in that year uh, about a thousand women and about two and a half thousand children spent a considerable period of time in that emergency accommodation. And then we still have over 600 adults and children who were asylum seekers, but have got their legal right to remain in the country, but can't get out of direct provision because of the housing crisis. And they're essentially using direct provision as emergency accommodation. So, you know, somewhere between 11 and 15,000 is probably about right. The problem, however, is this, is that uh, not only uh, if the government doesn't have accurate figures, they can't tackle the problem properly. Mm. But you do have to ask yourselves, why won't they publish accurate figures? Uh, why is it that, for example, the minister on three occasions in this year uh, removed families, including, for example, 100 families removed from the figures in Laos, uh, and again, a bunch of families removed from the figures uh, in Mead? Uh, and I have to say, I think it's nothing short of political manipulation uh, to
3: save face. Yeah, so on one hand, you're saying uh, the government is playing down. The scale of uh, the problem. On the other hand, the government says it's throwing everything at it and doing as much as possible. As we heard there, 93% of people believe they should be doing more. So what are they doing? Well, uh, it seems uh, from uh, the Irish Times report uh, today uh, that 1,000 houses, a little over 1,000, 1,051 houses were built in the first six months of uh, this year, which is 20% of uh, the target of the total that they expect to be built uh, and uh, the department now writing to local authorities to tell them to get the other two-thirds done by the end of the year.
9: That's right. We get a report at the end of every quarter telling us the progress of the local authority new bills. So they're being built by local authorities as well as by approved housing bodies. They were 28% uh, on target uh, at the end of the second quarter of this year. Uh, part of the problem, however, is is that the Department of Housing imposes uh, a very bureaucratic approval and tendering a procurement process on the local authorities and the approved housing bodies, which slows down the delivery of, of social housing. Uh, there's also, in my view, not an aggressive enough campaign of purchasing units uh, that are available. And I don't mean competing with first-time buyers. I mean purchasing vacant units that aren't on the open market. Uh, and again, while Louth County Council has been quite proactive in terms of bringing vacant units back into stock, uh, they're one of the few councils and the money they've got from local, uh, from central government hasn't been uh, 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 sufficient in my view. But the real problem is the targets themselves are too low. I, I sat on a cross-party committee that did a lot of work in the Dál in 2016, and we recommended in our report to government in, in that summer, uh, that we needed to see a minimum of ten thousand real social houses added to the local authority and approved housing body stock every year, uh, and this year the government will probably achieve about half of that. Uh, Sinn Féin has also been arguing very strongly that not only do we need an increase in social housing, but we need the state to be directly involved in the delivery of affordable rental. <coughs> Excuse me, You're affordable you. affordable purchase accommodation. <laughs> yeah. uh, that hasn't happened yet either. So. It's not just the delivery is slow, the targets are far, far too low. And that
3: target of about half the 10,000, just under 5,000, is made up of housing uh, that is provided by private developers, uh, the 10% uh, that they would hand over to the state or uh, from what they call voids uh, when they bring empty houses back into action.
9: Yes. And look, I mean, For me, it doesn't matter how the the stock is increased. So, for example, the Part 5 requirement is a perfectly acceptable way of increasing the stock because those units are then purchased and owned by the local authorities. My problem is that the government is also claiming that where it's leasing uh, units from the private sector through HAP, through RAS, or through a thing called the Long-Term Leasing Scheme, that somehow that's the same, and of course it's not. Mm. So while this year we're only going to get 5,500 real social houses added to the stock, there'll be about 19,000 privately owned units leased uh, by the state through these various schemes uh, to house people. Uh, and of course the problem with that is, not only is it insecure for the tenants, not only is it very expensive for the taxpayer, it also takes uh, houses away from, from, from regular renters and regular buyers in the private market. Uh, so, this chronic over reliance on the subsidised private rental sector, along with an under, underinvestment in, in real social housing owned by local authorities and improved housing bodies, is really the big problem here. Okay. <clears throat>
3: It's a a crisis, a scandal, uh, something that a a lot of people find shameful, Uh, and uh, if we want to talk about statistics, uh, one statistic that can't be argued is the figures from Focus Ireland, which last week said they referred uh, people on 180 occasions uh, to... Garda stations uh, that's this year actually and uh, at least 20 of them uh, had stayed in Garda stations Uh, so that puts into context why people feel it's such a a terrible problem Uh, was it something uh, that was overlooked in Sinn Féin's presidential campaign?
9: No I don't think so in fact Leonie uh, Riada spoke about housing quite a lot Obviously, the, the powers of the president are, are more, supposed suppose, in terms of raising the issues, because uh, ultimately these are matters for government in terms of budget or legislation. Uh, but certainly housing was one of the key themes that they mentioned repeatedly. Uh, I also think it's important, because you mentioned Focus Ireland, they've launched a campaign uh, uh, last week, and they're calling on government to make four clear commitments to kind of tackle the escalating family homelessness crisis. Uh, they are to have a dedicated family homelessness strategy Uh, to ensure that uh, nobody is referred to Garda stations, that there's adequate emergency accommodation for all, that no family spends more than six months in emergency accommodation, and that every family has access to uh, a caseworker to assist them. Now I put those four questions directly to the Thonis to Simon Coveney last Thursday during leaders' questions, and asked him, would the government commit to uh, uh, those four demands to tackle this escalating crisis, particularly because on that day we'd seen an increase in 55 families in emergency accommodation and an extra 136 children uh, on the previous month. Uh, uh, and I have to say his answer was deeply disappointing. He was saying the government is doing everything they can, which clearly isn't the case because the figures are going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and rather than say, yes, Focus Ireland are the frontline agency who know more about this than most, we're going to work with them and support their demands he gave a very kind of mealy-mouthed answer to say you know planning permissions are increasing and, and house building is increasing none of which is in dispute mm. the difficulty of course is the houses that these families need in terms of move-on accommodation but also the kind of preventative measures that you and i have talked about many times before mm. in this program aren't being taken so it's not just Sinn Féin who's criticizing the government and demanding more key from plan NGOs like Focus Ireland uh, are doing the same and uh, my understanding is later this week there's going to be a meeting of a number of the large homeless charities Uh, because they want to see even greater focus on preventing families from becoming homeless and they'll have some very specific proposals they've been announcing uh, uh, for the government's attention as
4: well. Well, I
3: think it's uh, fair to say you're uh, outlining articulating uh, a Sinn Féin vision for us to a a large degree but it was a a vision as I put to you a moment ago that was lacking I think in the presidential campaign Uh, and what I mean by that for example is if you were to put two photographs in front of people, the government supported candidate Michael D. Higgins on the left and the Sinn Féin candidate Leah Nerida on the right and you were to say to them which one of those two has spoken about housing. I think most people would point to the left to Michael D. Higgins Uh, but uh, there was a a lot of uh, strands uh, that uh, would have made a a Sinn Féin candidate uh, particularly relevant if they were to have spoken about housing uh, in any great detail or in any way that showed vision or health or distribution of of wealth uh, and all of those things seemed lacking. Uh, Do you believe uh, that there's lessons to be learned for your party?
9: Well first of all let let me just say on the presidential election the result was deeply disappointing for us uh, and I don't think any of us in the party are, are satisfied. Um, well, you're all responsible so for it. To, uh, I mean, when satisfied.
3: I say Reader didn't speak about housing, that means Sinn Féin oh, no,
9: didn't. No, no, and this yes. was my point. Uh, yes. what, oh. what we will do is, uh, over the, the next number of weeks, the party will sit down, both at a, a national level, but also in each of the constituencies. We reflect on the campaign. We'll see what, what, what it was that we did wrong. You know, it's clear that that uh, we didn't connect with the voters in the way we'd hoped to do. Uh, uh, we didn't get either the Sinn Féin vote or a broader vote to come over to our side. And, and look, that's our responsibility. There are mistakes that we will have made, and we need to uh, assess them uh, uh, and learn lessons from them. Uh, the one thing I will say, however, is, is I don't think it's for lack of talking about housing. I, you're absolutely right. Michael D. Higgins, uh, during his presidency, has been vocal on the issue of housing and on the scandal of homelessness, and, and I credit him for that. Uh, uh, but in fairness to Leonie Ria, the, um, uh, housing was one of the key themes in terms of standing up for ordinary people that she articulated during the campaign. Clearly that didn't resonate and clearly we need to, to, to examine the reasons why uh, uh, and make sure that in future election campaigns, whether they be local, European or presidential, we do a
3: better job. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning on O'Brien is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on housing planning and local government.
5: Michael Reed
3: on LMFM. Now, there have been a, a lot of anguish, I, I think, uh, with uh, people watching primetime on television last week if uh, they have loved ones who are in residential care. There's something rotten at the heart of uh, the support system, according to Finegale TD, Ferguson O'Dowd, uh, TD for Louth, who comes into us uh, this morning. Uh, and indeed, uh, you've uh, taken a, a look at residential care for people with disabilities and nursing homes home care and so on over a, a long period of time. The yes, work that you did on yeah. Lee's Cross uh, led yes, yeah. to the, the establishment of HICWA, which oversees uh, these institutions now and should have brought a, about an end to the failings such as the ones that we've been watching at Cherry Orchard and Belly Farmers.
2: Yes, well, in fact, HICWA are doing an excellent job. But the problem is that the information that they get in, the form that they get it in, is not passed on, in my view, to the gardie or to the Ombudsman. And the facts, as you rightly say, Michael, things have improved for all the people right around the country and for people with disabilities. But the facts are, as we saw last Thursday, that people who want to visit a family member uh, cannot because they can be barred and excluded or they can be, as we saw on the television, somebody in order to leave because their hour was up. That's something mm-hmm. you find in a jail maybe with a serious criminal you don't find it with somebody who has dementia no and, and it's and very upsetting uh, it's very upsetting I, 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 spoke to I, the man, I,
3: I imagine though that it does sure. happen on occasion and it and it's warranted yes, well, um, but yes of course uh, And yeah. in this case that it wasn't warranted. absolutely that's, well, the well, belief, that's at at least, a key yeah. point mm-hmm. and I have yeah, done for mm-hmm. the
2: minister mm-hmm. next week is that if it happens that I may be mm-hmm. a, just to say I'm a very difficult person mm-hmm. uh, uh, there should be a process by which I can inform the hospital or the nursing home that I'm visiting at whatever the time Time is that they bring me in to see my relative and then I inform them before I leave the room that I'm leaving at whatever time is agreed. Mm. Uh, but it's not like a jail. It's not like somebody's a criminal. That man cared and loved for yeah. his wife so much. Right. I spoke to him over the weekend and obviously, clearly, they're very traumatised by it. Also there are other people... And it's it really like, put into context I, I thought. You know, so, uh, how
3: easily how quickly lives can change I a very beautiful woman putting out a, a, a bin who ended up uh, in a state that she
2: needs this care As- yeah, absolutely yeah. it's entirely and what we need is a system that aid yeah. that it, that there is a, a fair review of what the yeah. situation may be and secondly that there's an independent appeal process separate from the HSE yeah. or the nursing yeah. home that you can go to and say look this is my case yeah. what's yours
3: well I, I think that's but where the, I was yep. or what I was going to ask you sure about might, because yep. uh, like the point of, I was making was that that can happen to any of us so quickly and so easily and none of us can see the future and this time tomorrow either of us will be in that situation Uh, and at the same time uh, it may warrant Stopping somebody coming in to see them altogether, or to do it under strict supervision, security, and so on. Yeah. Uh, but there is no appeals at the moment, is there? There, a, there is no
2: appeal, and that's the point: is that the, the health authority or the or the nurse, private nursing home, they, they're they're the gods and your dominion. Whereas in fact, it, the care is all about the individual first. Their safety must come first under health and well being. Mm. Secondly, the family, and thirdly, in my view, wherever that person is, and even if I have, if, even if I'm a very difficult person. There's no reason why I can't visit my loved mm. one, in under un, not under supervision, but under agreed protocols. Mm. And that's what we have to insist on. That man is entitled to look after his wife. Nobody else was mm. looking after her. Mm. Nobody was going into that room, his daughter mm. and himself. Nobody else. Mm. 24 7, days of the year. The other point was there was a lady on, and her brother died in very tragic circumstances, appalling circumstances, mm. in a nursing, in, it was in a HSE run institution. Uh, I, I was in touch with the Minister Kathleen Lynch at the time who was extremely helpful extremely helpful in 2015 to, uh, to sort this out uh, and there was an indip- there were three separate independent reviews into that man's death until the third one, the final one after many years mm. uh, came to the truth of the matter which would be a matter obviously for, for further discussion later on in another court as the man said. But the point is uh, we discovered then that after that poor man died we only discovered in the last two weeks That there were three other people in that care institution, that there were separate. Inquiries by the same team that looked into his death, and they all came to the same conclusion, which is it's, which is an appalling vista mm. uh, in a HSC run institution. And uh, we have to, and I will be holding those accountable, obviously, for that uh, as the weeks go by. Yeah. Uh, and and that's what's going on. And that needs and that's to be not done. Exce- and, and it will be done. And, 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 and that and, needs to be done. And why should why should because of this man's illness, as mm. it happened, he personally had HIV. Uh, he was moved out of moved out of the ward where he was really looked after for many years Mm. and put into a ward where there was no qualified nursing staff to deal with him. They wouldn't feed him, they wouldn't look after him, and they left him dying in appalling circumstances. When he was brought into the hospital, on his deathbed, the family were attacked by the doctor as to, why did you look after this man in this way? Why is he like this? Apparently the doctor was pulling his hair out, Mm. and they said he wasn't with us, he was Mm. with the HSE. So what does that that mean for
3: that's people listening point. to us this morning who well, have a loved one in an institution well, I think does it got mean got that they're <clears throat> being neglected does it mean that well, they might can, be
2: neglected well the fact is that they're about They they, they could well be I mean a place may look lovely. Leeds Cross was a purpose-built mm. modern home, but the standard of care were mm. appalling. And the facts are: from you know, I got Hikwa, I went through all of the complaints they got last year mm. with them, and there are thousands of them. And the outcomes in each case, the outcomes are basically that about twenty percent of all nursing homes have an additional uh, condition attached to their license, or there are issues about them. And if somebody yeah. is in a disability there's uh, about 10% of those there are, are serious issues with so with your loved one you've got to be internally vigilant go in at weekends go in late at night go in at the off peak mm. go in on holidays when people are you know when staff resources mightn't be there and just keep looking out keep watching them make sure that their bodies are looked at regularly for bed sores because mm. uh, and, and quite often people will tell you <clears throat>
3: that it, it was a fabulous place they were yes, after yeah.
2: wonderfully the staff were great yeah, we, 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 absolutely and they are great and and the vast majority Mm. is the same as statement, are excellent Mm. but there are a significant minority that are not. But sometimes
3: somebody is being neglected
2: and the
3: the relatives will tell you I didn't know that, I thought it was a great place. If somebody
2: has dementia they won't be able to communicate, Mm. if somebody is unwell and they can't uh, sometimes people are reluctant to have the the physical skin of the person examined. Mm. One of these people I'm talking about, they went into hospital with a bed sore so big it couldn't actually be treated, could not be treated. That's what happened mm. there. Now that's rare, obviously, but it did happen. Mm. And I think that eternal vigilance from the family members and taking the capacity to use programs like yours, Michael, to articulate and to fight those cases, is hugely, hugely important. And
3: that's if there are family members or family members <coughs> who are. Are capable or interested in yes, watching yeah. out for somebody yes. uh, and because of the limitations, because <clears throat> not everybody in a home has family members or family yeah. members who look out for them what needs to be done?
2: Well what happens at the moment, if I ring up and I discovered this last year mm. if I ring up, about uh, about 600 people rang HICWA to complain about the care of their family member HICWA wrote down all of those complaints they, then they did nothing with them Yeah because the law didn't allow them from their perspective to pass that information on. Now I got on to the, I met with the Ombudsman and I met with HICWA and they've now agreed that complaints will be passed on to the Ombudsman. Yeah. The Ombudsman has the power to investigate those complaints but first of all the person must go through if they're in a private nursing home go to the manager of the nursing home which often they don't wish to do yeah. because the person is vulnerable, because they're afraid they're being mm, They victimized. believe they could compromise. Absolutely. More. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and if I can go back, about about four years ago I brought about 800 complaints I wrote to the Garda Commissioner I sent them to her at the time she appointed a detective superintendent uh, to examine all of them and he came back to me after a period of time and he said there were about 14 cases there which warranted prosecution or investigation by the guardie, mm. but either the person had died or the family didn't wish it to be followed up because of their concerns for the patient or the, pur- the alleged perpetrator could not be found mm. so there are serious issues there so they then told me at that time that the Guardian and Hicka were sitting down to have a memorandum of understanding that Hicka would tell the guardy when they thought there was yeah. a case. That did not happen, Michael. That did not happen. And now following this furore that I caused, it is to happen now. So things are improving, but all the time, people like me have to fight to get the rights that people are entitled to. And I think that's a disgrace that that it took me to do that. It shouldn't take me to do that. It it should happen automatically. I spoke to the Minister for Health as well, and he is happy in that he's making significant progress in safeguarding legislation Mm. to protect vulnerable, older people in these circumstances. And I I would expect to have a statement from him next week, which will be certainly helpful and will be significant progress as well. Mm. But it's it's just, you know, it it just goes on and on and on and
3: on. Well, it does. Uh, And uh, the more it goes on, Mm -hmm. the more concerned people become. Uh, But you did say that the vast majority of people who are in care are being cared for very well
2: they are absolutely mm. absolutely. but the other point is that in the community as well is that there were 10,000 complaints last year of, of of abuse of the elderly that could be in a lot of cases yeah. financial abuse, physical abuse emotional abuse, sexual abuse these things are going on in our society and I think people people just need to be aware of them mm. and and obviously we need to be more vigilant with our family members as well, if you're over 80 uh, you're more likely to suffer financial abuse than if you're under that age. And there's all sorts of things going on out yeah. there. I,
3: I, I, um, I take it, though, that yeah. uh, at, at the same time, whilst, let's say you have 10,000 allegations, yeah. uh, that whilst people were genuinely concerned, those allegations wouldn't be upheld because there's a, a thin line between
2: dealing with somebody who is so vulnerable yeah. and abusing them. Absolutely, but there are elder abuse officers in the Mm. community and they deal with those complaints and that's the number that they have given us nationally. That's a lot of people. Mm. That's a lot of people. And there is significant, I I think anybody, even if one person is abused, that's unacceptable. Of course, yeah. Mm. And like, I don't know the outcomes of those 10,000 cases, but if it goes so far as to be reported, then that is serious. And I've been looking at uh, complaints for years now and there's uh, a ring of truth about the vast majority of them. Some of them are vexatious, some of mm-hmm. them are undoubtedly untrue, but I believe most of them are actually true. Mm-hmm. I, I have no doubt about that.
3: Yes, but I suppose what I'm saying to you, about the ones mm-hmm. that are true, while people yes. are genuinely concerned uh, yeah. and they're worried that somebody is being uh, abused, it's not necessarily the case, because there is this thin line. It can be very hard, very difficult to care for people, uh, and the way that care is administered could be construed as being abuse.
2: Yeah, I think, and uh, there's a HSC, the National Safeguarding Office, they examined the 10,000 complaints, mm. right? Yeah. There was there a 28% increase in 2016, Adults over sixty five, twenty two, twenty two percent were financial abuse. Uh, of people over eighty, twenty five percent were financial abuse. It concludes that for those over sixty five, unfortunately, uh, the children were the main categories of, sus- of suspected abusers. Right. So yeah. that's also true. Yeah. So, like, this is a hugely uh, difficult area, and I think I know it's it's a place that, you know, I'm happy to 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 continue to okay. fight for. Uh, more accountability, more transparency, more supports, and more awareness in the community, Michael.
3: Okay, well look, thank you indeed uh, for coming in to us uh, this morning. Hopefully uh, this Michael's latest scandal has progressed <coughs> things uh, which is quite <coughs> often the case. Thank you, thank you indeed. Fine Gael, TD, Ferguson out. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime desks. Uh, Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navin Station joins us for the report this week, and we begin in RD. The early hours of Sunday morning, and uh, a number of people knocked down. This was a, a hit and run.
1: Yes, good morning, Michael. Um, This was a serious incident. It happened in RD at uh, one fifteen am on Sunday morning at Castle Street. Uh, Three people on the footpath uh, were knocked down when a vehicle mounted the footpath and struck them. So two females and a male were injured and taken to hospital. The car didn't stop. It proceeded in an orderly direction up the town and crashed at the fair green. The car involved was a silver Vauxhall Vectra hatchback. And two people in that car got out and ran. Uh, Naturally, we're very anxious to trace these occupants. And if uh, anybody witnessed that incident and who hasn't yet spoken to us or who was in RD perhaps coming home from a night out, Again, the time was 1.15am on Sunday morning. If they can help us at all to contact RD Garda Station.
3: Mm. Uh, And Sunday morning, but Saturday night, so I'm sure it was relatively busy around that time. It would have been busy around that
1: time, Michael, Mm. yes, as people Mm. were coming home from Mm. a night out.
3: Okay. Uh, We go to Drada and uh, the Moneymoor housing estate. uh, Some uh, shots fired at a house.
1: Yes, Michael, a serious incident again. Last Thursday evening at uh, 9.40pm, shots were fired at a house in Moneymoor. Now, damage was caused to the rear of the house, Uh, the rear window, rear patio door was hit. (coughs) The house was occupied at the time, so it's very fortunate that nobody was injured. There was no loss of life, and this is a very serious incident. Um, We believe a single male was involved uh, using a handgun. So we're appealing to anybody who has any information on this uh, event to contact Station. They can also use to guard a confidential line which is one eight hundred treble six treble one.
3: Well we can only be thankful that nobody was injured in that, whether it was the intended target or their neighbours uh, to fire a gun in a housing estate uh, is beyond belief. We stay in Drogheda, though for our next report and a robbery at a local bookies.
1: Yes this happened on Saturday evening up at Duleek Street, the Paddy Power premises was a subject of a robbery. It happened at quarter past seven in the evening A male with a white hoodie and navy tracksuit bottoms entered the premises. He was brandishing a knife. He demanded cash. He got a small amount of cash and he fled the scene on foot. So this again would have been a busy time of the evening, Saturday evening around Dulic Street in Drogheda, quarter past seven, perhaps... Some of your listeners may have seen this individual uh, before or after the event, and Draca de Gardi would appreciate any information on that.
3: Okay, and a, a lot of traffic in uh, the area as well. If uh, anyone has uh, footage around that time, I'm sure you'd be interested in looking at it. Uh, to Drum Conrath, last Thursday, a violent burglary.
1: Yes, Michael, um, I know this was covered on your news reports. Um, an elderly couple, a couple in their 70s, were subject of a uh, horrific aggravated burglary in the Eclair area of Drumcondrat last Thursday night. As the uh, house owners returned to the house at 10.15pm, when they entered the house, they were confronted by two males who were in the house. Uh, one of them is described as 5 foot 10 inches in height. He was of stocky build. Uh, the second individual is described as tall and slim now they confronted the house owner they uh, knocked him to the ground and kicked him on the ground they demanded money and jewellery they got a small amount of cash uh, which comprised of some sterling cash as well they took the phones off the uh, victims and locked them in a room and then left the scene now the victims uh, weren't able to raise the alarm until 7am on Friday morning and they were both taken to a lady of Lords hospital for treatment um, Gardy have opened an instant room. The detective unit at Navan Garda Station can be contacted at 046 907 9930 if anybody has any information at all about this crime.
3: All right. Uh, well, we hope that anybody uh, uh, will come forward if they do have information and that everybody recovers uh, from that. We go to Omeath and uh, break into a shop.
1: Yes, this happened um the early hours of last Friday morning, um, the 26th. At quarter past two in the morning, a car pulled up at the Mace shop in Omid. And it appeared to be a dark coloured Volkswagen car. And it reversed in through the shop window, causing extensive damage. And some items were taken from the shop we believe there were three or four males on board this vehicle, so if anybody has any information on that, please contact or meet the Garda station.
3: Uh, house burglary in Stamullen uh, to report on next.
1: Yes, this happened in the early hours of Thursday last, the 25th, sometime between 1am and 7am, a house at Millway, at Lachine Stamullen was broken into, and there was a substantial amount of jewellery taken, a number of rings, perfumes, wallets, um, driving licence, credit cards, so quite an array of property was taken in this burglary and if anybody uh, was in the area they might have seen something unusual or suspicious overnight uh, to contact Laytown Garda Station
3: Okay, busy couple of days ahead for frontline emergency services or hopefully not uh, and some uh, advice uh, wishing everybody no doubt a happy but a a safe Halloween
1: Yes Michael tomorrow night as you know is Halloween and uh, as ever there's always some instance there's always um, difficulties in that night for the frontline emergency services Um, We always hear stories about people being injured with fireworks and again this year, in the last couple of weeks, we have a story of a 14-year-old girl receiving serious injuries in Cork City when a firework ignited in her hand. We don't want to see things like that happening, so you know, our message is that people should have a safe Halloween and we especially want to focus in on parents to talk to your children about Halloween. It's an event to be enjoyed, not to cause disruption in the community, especially to the elderly or the vulnerable. If your children have fireworks, take them off them. Fireworks are illegal. I mean, there's no grey area here. Fireworks are illegal unless you have a permit. Um, It's an offence to throw an ignited firework at any person or any property. And there's a serious penalty for that, Michael. The penalty is a fine of up to €10,000 or five years imprisonment. So people should, you know, be aware of that right. uh, in a moment of madness tomorrow night. They could end up being charged and convicted and carry a conviction for the rest of their life. So we just appeal to parents, make sure you know where your children are, right. who they're with, what time they'll be home at. And uh, also, right. finally, Michael, just to to alert motorists tomorrow evening, just to be aware uh, as soon as it gets dark, there's always children out doing trick or treating. Right and, you know, they might be dressed in black, they might be hard to see, especially in the housing estates, so for motorists just to be conscious of that tomorrow night and be extra cautious. And
3: don't let them frighten you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, All right. and hopefully everybody wakes up on a Thursday morning with the same amount of fingers and toes uh, that they had going out on Wednesday evening, whether that's a trick or treating or otherwise. But thank you indeed, uh, as always. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navin Station brings our programme to its conclusion today. We'll return to the Garden Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. But that's all we have time for, for today. As always, there'll be a podcast available of today's programme on our website, lmfm.ie, in the afternoon. Thanks to Maggie McGuire and Ross Leahy for researching, Chris Murray and the Control term I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning, 9am, on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. <laughs>